just wanted to layer our prayer time today because we're diving into deep waters. Amen. All right. For the next couple of weeks, we will be talking about spiritual gifts. And this is when you get into a multi-ethnic, multicultural church with people from different backgrounds and different experiences, there's going to be a lot of opinions that come into a subject like this, all right? So we're going to navigate these waters um, with the Lord's grace and with the Lord's strength. Please, by all means, if there are questions, come to Come to um, Missional Community Gathering on Sunday evenings and at 5 o'clock and say, hey, I got questions, Pastor, about what you preach about. That's fine. We want to make that available to you. And so please feel free to ask questions of me because, like I said, when you come in into a multi-ethnic, multicultural church, there's going to be a lot of different people thinking a lot of different things, and we want to honor that. And at the same time, we want to get at the heart of what God is saying, at least as best as we possibly can get at the heart of what God is saying in this text. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about everyplate.com. Everyplate.com. My dear friend Jonathan Story, Jonathan and Rachel, they said, hey, we got this um, meal thing that we get, you know, from uh, they, ship, they ship all the ingredients and you can cook the food. And I was like, okay. And, you know, me and Candy were like, oh, you know, I mean, we might try it. And Jonathan was like, hey, well, I got this free week that you, can, that you can try it out, you know, just get all the meals sent for free. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we will try it out then. You know, it went, it went from maybe to, yeah, we'll try it out very quickly. But, but we have actually tried it out and we are now sold. We get every week they ship us meals or they ship us ingredients and we get the ingredients and they're like gifts. We receive, we, we pay for these gifts though, but, but we, we receive the ingredients and they are wonderful. They're fresh. Um, but, but, but there is something that comes with these ingredients that makes or breaks the deal. There's this, there's this card, this, this, this eight and a half by 11 card that they put in, um, in the box. And matter of fact, they put however many meals you got, they put the num those number of cards. So we get three meals, sometimes we get four, and they put three or four cards in there. And each one of those cards has the list of ingredients that you need in order to prepare the meal, and it has the directions for how to cook the meal, okay? These are very important to us because otherwise they're just ingredients in a box. But it, with the card, we unlock the purpose for these ingredients. And as we unlock the purpose for these ingredients, we're able to actually make a meal. Are you tracking with that? Here in the very first verses of chapter 12, Paul is about to unlock the purpose for spiritual gifts. In unlocking the purpose for spiritual gifts, we can actually do something with these spiritual gifts that are useful for us, useful for the church, and useful in terms of bringing glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the last chapter, in chapter 11, Paul moved from the focus of chapters 8 through 10, which was the issue of idolatry and freedom, and, he, and, and it was a discussion that was centered around what do we do with food that has been previously offered to idols? Do we eat it? Do we not eat it? Do we participate in the feast that they're hosting? Do we not participate in the feast? If you need more information on that, you can go back through the app and pull those sermons or go to YouTube and listen to and listen and watch those sermons. But Paul spent time talking about that in 8 through 10, and then he turned his attention to from idolatry to true worship. What does true worship look like? 
And in, true, in dealing with true worship, we get to chapter 11, where he talks a little bit about the issue of head covering and headship and submission. He talks a little bit about Lord's Supper and what we do as we worship the Lord through our, through our partaking of the Lord's Supper. And now he is going to continue the discussion of true worship, right worship, by turning his attention and focus for the next three chapters to matters of spiritual gifts, spiritual actions, and spiritual activities. Now, the reason why I've included other spiritual elements in this discussion in terms of spiritual gifts, spiritual actions, spiritual activities, is because the phrase spiritual gifts is not what Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The word gift is not present in the Greek. Paul actually says, now concerning the spiritual. Meaning that he could have had spiritual gifts in mind. More than likely, he does have spiritual gifts in mind. But he also has spiritual service in mind, spiritual activities in mind, even spiritual people in mind, some scholars have surmised. Gifts is certainly close and probably what he has most in mind, since by the end of this discussion in chapter 14, we're talking about the gifts of prophecy and languages, and we're talking about gifts throughout. But spiritual gifts is not what he actually initially says. He says, now concerning the spiritual. Nevertheless, let's turn our focus back to chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, now concerning as the ESV renders it, spiritual gifts. Brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So before Paul goes too far into developing a proper understanding around spiritual gifts, services, activities, Paul is going to offer a caution concerning the Corinthians' past idolatry. A caution. And it was important for them to get this caution because it was important for them to understand how their past idolatry had the possibility of shaping their present worship. See, previous idolatry had poorly prepared the Corinthians for how they should think about true spiritual activity. Consider if you've been deep in the occult for years. Paul's caution here is that you have to be careful that you are not wrapping the occult into your understanding of Christ-centered spiritual activity, services, and gifts. Now, if you're breathing a sigh of relief this morning and saying to yourself, well, thank the Lord I wasn't a part of the occult, so we don't have to worry about any of that type of stuff, well, think again. Because spiritual misinformation runs deep through most cultures. And you don't have to be a part of the occult or local voodoo practicers to be shaped by that misinformation. Take, for example, our own culture's portrayal of spiritual warfare. Do me a favor and, and, and take a minute to think about how the culture has taught you and taught me to think about the devil and the way he engages in warfare. Watch a few TV episodes and you'll get the impression that the primary manner that the devil fights his battles is through some over-the-top spiritual possession rather than the lies that he floods us with in our movies, in our music, in our books, in our psychology, in our politics, and in our pulpits that we do not scrutinize, that we do not contest, that we do not debate. But this is not the only way that our culture and age has shaped our understanding of, uh, of the spiritual. 
Part of the fruit of our hyper-rationalized, scientific-based culture and age is that the Christians approach their faith with an almost complete and total disregard for the devil. I mean, we're past that, right? We're past that spooky monster stuff. We're, too, we're, we're, we're way smarter than that. And many of us view him as nothing more than a figment of imagination rather than a real force who despises us and opposes us on every side. So the culture can shape us in such a way where we are convinced that the devil only operates in the horrific, or the culture can shape, shape us in such a way where we are convinced that he's not, not operating at all. But Scripture teaches us to the contrary on both fronts. Scripture teaches us that he is alive and that he is well and that he is most deadly in the pleasurable, desirable, and attractive, not necessarily the, the horrific and the scary. Spiritual warfare isn't to be completely written off, but it's not all about spells and voodoo dolls. It's also about rehearsing and repeating and applying and meditating on the truth of God so that you will not get swept up in the lies that Satan is constantly bombarding us with in our culture. Now, let's take it one step further. We had several preachers in 2021, several televangelists in 2021, several self-professed prophets in 2021 make bold declarations that the Lord was going to put President Trump back in office. Even after losing the election, there were people making prophetic declarations that he was going to be inaugurated. And even after the inauguration, there were people prophetically declaring that President Biden was going to be removed from the office by the end of the summer of 2021 so that he could be replaced by President Trump because the Lord said he would do it. This is what happens when cultural idolatry takes the place of gospel Christ-centeredness in our practice of the spiritual gifts. Whether it's the way we misinterpret a demon's participation in our world, or the way we undersell the devil's participation in our world, or the overinflated priority that we give partisan politics and national interests in our spiritual understanding, idolatry of the past or even the present can shape our spiritual exercise in unhealthy ways. Does that make sense? So Paul is question, uh, cautioning, rather, the Corinthians to enter this discussion about spirituality with a sober and clear-headed posture, a posture that says, I may not know what I think I know about the works of the Spirit. I may not, I may not know what I think I know about the operations of the Spirit. I may not know what I think I know about the gifts of the Spirit. Because so much of what I've been taught has been shaped by cultural idolatry. When it comes to the actual operation of the spirit, we are prone to miss so much simply because of everything that we have in our minds from our culture. And we sometimes are not bringing those ideas under subjection to what thus says the Lord. And yes, that includes those of us who have been in church our whole lives. Because what we sometimes don't realize is that some of our spiritual practices have merged with some of our cultural idols, unbeknownst to us. And it becomes extremely hard to detangle them from one another. Brother and sister, could I ask you just to 
maybe write down a few things in your life, a few practices, a few habits, a few ways of approaching life that have no ultimate grounding in Scripture, yet it, yet it is treated in your circle of peers or among your family like the commands and the traditions came from the very mouth of God. Do you have a few of those? I certainly have some that I can write down. You see, Paul is clear. I don't want you to be uninformed. Don't let the idolatry of your past cloud your vision for how the Lord moves among us by his spirit now. Also keep in mind Paul's audience here, some of which were probably considered socially and financially or even intellectually elite. But here Paul is saying your money and your status and your finances did not protect you from being led astray by deaf, mute, dumb, and dead idols before. So don't rely on it to protect you now. Rely on the Spirit of God and his own word as it is revealed to us to guard us from being deceived in our spiritual practices. So Paul launches into his discussion about spiritual gifts by setting the stage with a caution. And then the rest of this chapter or the rest of these verses that we're going to cover, he begins to unlock the purpose for the gifts. Purpose number one, the spiritual gifts reveals Christ as Lord. The spiritual gifts reveals Christ as Lord. Verse 3, read with me there. It says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a ton of thoughts that have circulated through the years on this verse. Some believe, for example, that Paul is speaking to Corinthians who are going back to their pagan ways and starting to use Jesus' name to invoke curses on their enemies. That's probably not what Paul has in mind. Possibly, but probably not. And the reason why we say probably not is because the, 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 the way the verse is constructed, is constructed for us to see Jesus as not as the one being a curse, not the one doing the cursing. But there are others that believe that, that maybe some of the Corinthians got worked up during some of their more exuberant services. Maybe somebody was singing glory to glory real good and somebody broke out and got the shouting and screaming and said, Jesus is accursed. Let's, let's pray that never happens at City Light. But there's some scholars that believe that that, that, that that may have been a possibility too, that one in, in, the, in, the mo in a moment of exuberance that, that someone would babble out something that was biblically inaccurate about Jesus. Now, again, that's plausible, but, but not likely what Paul had in mind here. Most scholars aren't convinced that there was necessarily a whole lot of professing Christians in Corinth who were prophes prophesying that Jesus was, a cur Jesus was cursed. So what did Paul have in mind here? Many believe that Paul was getting to the root of spiritual discipline, gifting, and activity. This is the heart of spiritual gifting. You see, given that their former pagan idolatrous life had so shaped their understanding of the spiritual, Paul was taking them back to the fundamentals of spiritual practice with this fundamental statement. Nobody, thank you so much, brother, nobody can do anything truly spiritual while cursing Jesus. And nobody can truly bless Jesus and mean it without something deeply spiritual happening in them and awakening them to do so. In other words, all true spiritual activity has at its root the exaltation and glorification of Jesus Christ. 
The purpose and aim of spiritual gifting is to make much of Jesus. We look at Romans 12 where, where there's other texts about spiritual gifts. Romans 12 is another such text about spiritual gifts. Verse 6 of chapter 12 in Romans, it says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in a proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Every single one of these gifts are intended to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ up and in doing so, make much of Jesus. Whenever the gifts move away from that purpose and intent of making much of Jesus, they are moving off course and moving more in the direction of being controlled by demons than being controlled by the Spirit. Your gifts are not for you alone. They are for Christ alone. Your gifts are not for you alone. They are for Christ alone. Here's another purpose in the, in the spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts declare the unity of the Trinity. They declare the unity of the Trinity. Verse 4 through 6, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Notice the unity in the triune God when it comes to the administration of the gifts. The same spirit behind all the different gifts, the same Christ behind all the different services, and the same Father behind all the different operations in each of us. Now, this is not meant to be some kind of dividing line between Father, Son, and Spirit, where God the Spirit is only responsible for gifts, and God, and God the Christ is only responsible for service, and God the Father is only responsible for operations. While the Corinthians, coming out of a pagan lifestyle, would have been used to hearing that different gods were responsible for different gifts and different activities and different services, each one of those gods would have carried their own intents and purposes for when and where and how and why to use those gifts. Paul is not making that point about the Trinity. Instead, Paul is making the opposite point. Paul is saying that every gift, every outworking, every service is given to us by a unified triune God with full harmony between the Godhead. Not just full harmony in terms of the distribution, but full harmony in terms of the why it is given and the what it will be ultimately used for. No one person should be elevated above another because it is God who gives the gifts. No one person's service should be ignored because it is the triune God who enlists us all to serve him. Not only that, but the Trinity is also the animating force behind each and every gift that's used in the church. The gifts are used to make much of Jesus and edify his church, and they receive their unction and their go from God. So this should humble us when our gifts are acknowledged. Doesn't matter which gift. Whenever it's acknowledged, it should be humbling. Why? Because it's all given to us by, by who? By the triune God. 
This should encourage us to celebrate gifts in others, even if those gifts don't get much recognition. Why? Whether it's notarized or not. Why? Because God is still behind it, distributing it and animating it and using it for purposes that we have yet to fully understand. Doesn't matter whether it's a recognized gift or not. Our gifts testify of the triune God who provides them. Here's another purpose behind the gifts. The spiritual gifts build the collective body of Christ. The spiritual gifts build the collective body of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, I believe this is where this entire passage is anchored. This is what Paul most had in mind, I believe, when he wrote these verses. God gives spiritual gifts to us individually for collective purposes. God gives gifts to us individually for collective purposes. Spiritual gifts, spiritual services, spiritual activities are not a showcase of individual talents and giftings for the boosting of our own egos, our own reputations, or even our own statuses in this world. The purpose of the spiritual gift is for us to use them in serving everyone. We are to use our giftings to make much of Jesus by using it to contribute towards the collective good of the entire body. One scholar writes about this particular verse. The spiritual gifts are always given to be used, always given to be used and to be used in such a way as to edify the whole body of believers, not some individual possessor of a gift. A schismatic individualism contradicts the purpose of the gifts. Did you hear that? A schismatic individualism, a divided individualism that says, this gift is for me, contradicts the very purpose of the gifts. This is very important. And it is, it's a point that is constantly, constantly made throughout Corinthians. Take, take the phrase, common good, for example, here. There are two other places in Corinthians where this phrase shows up in the Greek, this common good phrase. First, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it says all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. That word helpful, same word for common good here. Shows up again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We just studied this a few weeks ago. All things are lawful again, but not all things are helpful. Talking about food offered to idols, I got the freedom to do it, right? But it might not benefit everyone that I do it. So therefore, I sacrifice, I lay it down. Chapter 10, verse 23, but then verse 24 says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Same concept, common good is at work. Both of these verses are tied to this idea that my individual freedom and pursuit should not rise above the pursuit of collective good of the whole. I may have rights to do a thing, but will the exercising of those rights serve anyone else besides me? That is a countercultural question that goes against the grain of the culture. 
But that's the question of the hour for the Christian. And now is no longer. Is also now in the exercising of my gifts and my talents. I'm asking the same question. Who is it serving? The same thread is running right through spiritual gifts. A gift empowered and used by the Spirit of God is a gift that is not intended to elevate the individual, but rather it is intended to build up the entire body. Do this today when you have a moment. Write down some of the ways. Take a left side of a sheet of paper. Write down some of the ways in which the Lord has gifted you. And try not to play coy. Maybe someone has told you that you are an incredibly gifted singer. Write that down. Incredibly gifted speaker. Write that down. Organizer. Write that down. Leader. Maybe you're a fantastic encourager. Write that down. Or you just have the ability to be hopeful in the most hopeless of circumstances. Write that down. Maybe you've been told that you are an amazing cook by people that love you and, and people that don't care whether or not you hear that you're an amazing cook. Because sometimes we, you know, we just tell people that they're great because we don't want to. Amen. I ain't going to go into that. Okay. But you know what I'm saying. By the way, Candy's a phenomenal cook. <laughs> Write that down. Maybe the Lord has blessed you with great resources, allowing you to be extra generous and extra charitable. Write that down. Write all of that down on the left side, then draw a line down the middle. And then this is what I want you to write on the right side. On the right side, I want you to write down all the ways in which you are using those gifts for the common good. For the good of your neighbors, for the good of the universal church or the local church. I want you to see whether or not your talents are being translated towards others and being used for others or whether they are terminating on you and only you, and being used to advance you. One more thing here in verse 7 I want to draw your attention to. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given. To each, no matter how extravagant, no matter how low-key, no matter how spectacular, no matter how humble, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if you are in a, uh, in a part of God's church, called by God the Father, redeemed by God the Son, awakened by the power of God the Spirit, then you have something to bring to the body of Christ that will serve the body of Christ well. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You have a gift to contribute to this world that will serve us who dwell in it well. In verses 8 through 10, we are given a sampling of some of those gifts that could be in operation in a local church. 
For the one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. There is so much speculation around the speaking gifts in this passage, the gifts of utterance of wisdom and utterance of knowledge and prophecy and and utterance of uh, tongues and languages. Some believe that these gifts are connected to different capacities of preaching and teaching. I myself personally believe that it may in fact be a little bit more than that. For example, when we look at the utterance of wisdom, I believe like many that it is the ability to provide divinely inspired wisdom to all of life's challenges to speak with the wisdom of, uh, of a, 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 a to, to invoke, so to speak, uh, an example, look back to Proverbs, look back to Solomon, where he was divinely inspired, inspired to speak wisely into all life's challenges. I believe that is an utterance of wisdom, a gifting of wisdom. I know several people who operate in such a gift. Many believe the utterance of knowledge to be an ability to incisively speak into a person's life conditions and reveal areas that have not been made known to anyone else. I've experienced such examples of that in my own life. And we also see others with the ability to trust God in the most chaotic of circumstances and possess the kind of mountain-moving faith that Jesus describes. We've seen people who have prayed for healing in others and seen that healing Come forth. We've seen people who have been on the receiving end of that healing. And then we have prophecy and speaking in various kinds of languages and the interpretation of those languages, which we will unpack in the very near future, Lord willing. But Paul's point here at this point is not to give a fully exhaustive list of the gifts of the Spirit. We see it in Romans 12 as well. Paul gives this list of the gifts of the Spirit. We see it in Ephesians 4 where Paul gives this list of, of gifts of the Spirit. And then we see it, of course, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is not an exhaustive list here for us to unpack. And you see, Paul's point is not even to define them. We can debate and argue and haggle over what they mean. That's not Paul's point here. So why does he list them? Pay attention to the format that he gives us. To one is given by the Spirit. To another is given by the Spirit. Did you notice the format? What's the point? What is he drawing out here? His point is that not everyone will have every gift. His point is that these gifts are being distributed, which is one reason why I struggle when someone says that everyone is supposed to speak in tongues, right? Because we have in this chapter saying what? To one is given the gift to speak in tongues. To another is given the gift to interpret tongues. Does that make sense? So Paul is saying that all of these gifts are being distributed. Not everyone will have every gift. And the distribution of these gifts are connected to the one and same God. That's his point. All of these gifts are being distributed, and one God is behind the distribution. That's the point. Which leads me to my final purpose here in this text. The spiritual gifts are distributed in proportion to God's will. 
They are distributed in proportion to God's will for the collective good of the body. Verse 11, all these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God cast a wide net in the distribution of the gifts of the spirit because God desires the church to be holistic in how it lives on mission for him. You see, both Romans and 1 Corinthians includes in their discussion of gifting a discussion about the body of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They don't talk about gifting without talking about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church being one body with many members. And in both discussions in Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians, the point is made that not every member is the same. And not every member will have the same gifting, but all are necessary. The spiritual gifts, in other words, are proof that long-ranger Christianity does not exist. God intentionally and deliberately distributes the gifts among us so that we will need each other. Now, it's been said on many occasions, it's been said by many and repeated even here from this pulpit, the disciple-making is not a ministry of the church, it is the ministry of the church. But it also deserves to be stated that disciple-making is not a ministry of one or two in the church, it is what happens through the collective church. Disciple-making is not one guy mentoring someone once a week. That can be one element of disciple-making, but if it is the only element, the one who is being discipled will only see a few of God's gifts in operation and thus will only be getting a partial picture of God's working in the local church. We get a fuller picture when that person has others in their church contributing to their growth, their sanctification, and their encouragement, utilizing their gifting. Does that make sense? And it's not even a formalized use of gifting. You don't have to wait for positions to open up to utilize your gifting. Does that make sense? So the question must be asked, saints, in what way are we using our gifts in contribution to the disciple-making of the local body? In what way am I using my gift for the common good, for the collective good, for the edification of others. As you make your list on the left side of the sheet of paper on, to, on tonight, make your list on the right side and begin to ask yourself, if that right side looks thin, begin to ask yourself, how can I use the left side for the collective good of others? But not only that, in what way, first question, are you using your gifting and contribution to the disciple making of the local body? Second question, in what way are you leaning into the local body to receive what God has for you in others that will lead to your growth and edification? Your refusal to lean into the body is whether or not you know it a statement of arrogance. Your refusal to lean into the body is a statement that says what? I got all I need here. I don't, I don't, 
I don't need anything that they got. Got everything I need right here. Are you tracking with that? God says yes, you know, that, that, that the, hand, the hand over here can't say I don't have any need over you, uh, any need of the foot or, or the eye or whatever. And you say, whatever, God, I don't need any of that. Does that make sense, saints? And so the two questions that we need to walk away from, in what way am I using my gifting and contribution to the disciple-making of the local body, but also in what way am I leaning into the local body to receive what God has for me in the local body? God designed it this way intentionally. He designed he, he, he designed it for you to be left incomplete without the fellowship of the body of Christ in your life. He designed it for you to be missing something. In order that we would do what? All come together as one as he continues his work of building his church. But, of course, he also intentionally and deliberately distributes the gifts among us so that our sufficiency will not rest in us. God's distribution of the gifts proves once and for all that you are not God. There's only one who fully possesses all the gifts and only one who fully embodies all the fruit in a perfect way. We call him Savior. We call him Lord. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes, not all the time, but it's sometimes it's that hunger to be like God that can keep us grasping for more gifting and grasping for more power. We want more gifting and more power so that we can have more control. Rather than leaning on those with such gifting and power around us and encouraging them in their exercise of it and receiving from their exercise of it. You don't have to be great at everything. There's some people that are around you that are good at some things that you should be leaning into more to receive that gift. Sometimes I think we're a lot like Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 who is doing, you know, he thinks he thinks himself great. People think he's great. He's doing great things, and then he sees somebody over here that's doing greater things. God is moving, and he says, hey, how can I purchase what you got? Because I need it in order to be great. And then instead of just simply saying, man, how can I just lean in and just absorb what God is doing in your life? How can I just, how can I just celebrate what God is doing? No, I want to take that for me because I need it for me to have more control and more power. You see, the Lord will not allow our hunger for power to muddy the distribution of the gifts for the benefit of the local church and the glory of his name. God is using this as a reminder to you, not only that you need his church, but that you need him. So don't try to run from that. There's going to be some, there's going to be some things on this paper as you write down this, these things on that left shot side of the paper. You're going to realize that there's some things that's missing, and that's okay. That's okay, because that's just proof that you're not him. 
And that's just proof that you need the local church that he's given you, that you need the universal church that he's given you. So use that absence on that sheet of paper. Use it as a prayer. Say, Lord, help me lean in where, where I'm missing gifting. Help me lean in so that other, uh, someone else can serve me with that gift or so that you can fill that void. Does that make sense, saints? And so we got a long way to go through this series. This is just a drop in a bucket, all right? So y'all pray, as the old folks say, pray our strength in the Lord as we navigate this. But we want to first just start by helping you understand that there is a purpose behind the gifting. There's a clear purpose behind the gifting. God is doing something with it, but he's not just doing it for you. He's doing it ultimately for his glory, and he's doing it for the good of his local church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we give you thanks and praise and glory and honor.